Hello and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, science fiction, and horror novels. I'm Evan. And I'm Chad. And you are listening to our recap and discussion of The Fall of Babel, book four in the Books of Babel Quartet by Josiah Bancroft. I'm sad. Okay, I'm just going to say it. Like, I got that <laughs> feeling at the end of these books where I felt it was coming and I thought I'd be okay. And I closed it and I just got that huge, like, aching, empty feeling in my chest that I'm, I have to say goodbye to these people. And I'm, I'm still kind of sad. I'm, I'm still sad. If I can, if everyone will give me, uh, allow me to be corny as heck, they ascended very quickly deep <laughs> into my heart. And when I finished, my feelings fell oh <laughs> along with Babel. <laughs> that was so corny. <laughs> we'll give it to you. Okay. You start this series off and you think, like, Senlin is just this great character. I can't wait to follow him through all four of these books. It's going to be so fun. He's, he's so dynamic and complicated already. But as the series goes forward, I mean, it's still about Senlin, but there is a whole cast of people here that I was really sad to say goodbye to. Same. I became so close. So many warm, gushy feelings inside towards some of these characters. And not only just their character, but the characters that they became, like their growth throughout the course of these books is maybe not the main focus, but is a huge element of it. And it was awesome and educational to watch. Right. I mean, like, the, look at like, the, just for example, the relationship between Adam and Valida. Yeah. They were completely, not completely, but they were very much at odds. They were almost like unsure of each other. Mm-hmm. And then what happens at the very end? They're they're together. They're walking through this big light together into the unknown. They trust each other. It's just, uh, I could go putting, on about <laughs> Putting themselves in massive risk to save the other person. I'm so happy that you and I have this podcast because I was about to say I could go on for hours about this, but we're gonna. We're gonna. <laughs> That's exactly what this is for. If we didn't have this podcast, I would have called you and been like, dude, I need you to read these books so we can talk about them. I don't think there's any character in this book that I thought like, you know, you know how when you're reading something and it's got a lot of multiple point of views and you kind of get to one character and you're like, ah, okay, it's another one of these. Right. There's always the ugh person. Yeah. And there was just, that didn't exist here. Like it, nope. I'd flip over and it was an Edith chapter and I'd be like, cool. All right. Awesome. Like I'm, I'm so f- happy to be back with Edith. And then it was an Adam chapter and it's perfect. Yep. Let's go. I want to find out what's happening here. I mean, really the only if you want to just talk about this one book, the only chapters that I felt were like, okay, for the most part, were the Senlin chapters. <laughs> it's kind of funny how that turned around like that. Because in, in the Arm of the Sphinx, I was really, really excited about all the Senlin, of the Senlin points of view, because I was just getting to know these other characters. And now by the end, I'm, I'm almost as familiar and enamored with these people as I was with um, the characters in the Greenbone Saga, which is saying a lot. Because I mean, we, don't get, we, pinnacle of we don't have to dig into the Greenbone saga again, but <laughs> wow. What, what did you think about this particular book in comparison to the ones before it? few things. It was not, I, what I'm about to say is not <laughs> due to it, me wanting the story to be different. I loved the choices that Josiah Bancroft made, but I will say that I think I enjoyed the other books a little bit more for the adventurous there was more mystery and more uh discovery and exploration and magical journey juice to use my favorite phrase in the previous ones and i liked that more whereas this one was a little bit more about the struggle and overcoming it and while necessary it was probably a little tiny bit lower on the me love it scale than the other ones 
Yeah, I think I'm kind of right there with you. I mean, I wasn't disappointed by any means, but this just wasn't the book that I expected it to be mm-hmm. at all. Like we were really just down in there figuring stuff out in this book, you know? Yes. Um, and in the other ones, it was like, ooh, what's this? Oh, wow. That's, oh, this is a forest full of spiders and there's spider eaters that look like <laughs> anteaters, but they're actually like a lot bigger. And, um, but like, it wasn't my favorite of the series, but at this point, that's kind of like putting four pizzas on a table and asking which one I like the least. Like, I love right. all of them, you know, but there's maybe no one flavor of, them, of ice cream I don't like. Yeah. But I mean, there were so many characters that, that needed endings to their arcs. And it felt like this book was all, it was all very much about sewing a lot of uh, all of those up, mm-hmm. you know, um, which obviously that's what a concluding book should be. Right. And it was done well. There was definitely a feeling on a few characters I felt of a little bit of abrupt ending. Like it was just like, oh, right, I need to end this character's storyline. Pink. But also not. <laughs> I mean, like look at like Rettleman. It's like I thought that was it, and then he, it's just, oh. that guy keeps bouncing right back. You know, and it's, I it's, love the Rettleman character. Yeah. So no, we're note. we're getting we're getting. Let's just get into the. Let's okay, get okay, it. let's do it. We got summary, me baby. All right, everybody that's listening. Um, if you want to listen to the summary, I'm going to timestamp it. It's going to be a very long summary. And if you would like to skip it, then uh, just you know skip it. Go right to the discussion. And it was written with love. So if you skip it, like, will it hurt our feelings? A little, but we're... <laughs> Get it, you read you the books. All right, here we go. The fall of Babel begins with Adam at center stage, taken prisoner by the citizens of Nabos, the tower's highest and most heavily guarded ringdom. The ringdom votes on Adam's fate, and due to his mysterious celebrity status, decides he may keep his life and reside in Nabos. A woman named Runa is assigned to watch over him and be his guide and warden. Runa takes Adam to a storage facility called the Warren, where her friend Ossian gives him new clothes and burns his old ones in a contraption called the Nautilus. Adam learns the ringdom is filled with aging artists who are enraptured by the newest scintillation of which he is the subject. He learns that the scintillations of which the ringdom is so enamored with are actual eyes harvested in the parlor and sent up the tower into the city, which can then display a person's life, much like a projector. Through the scintillations, Adam learns the history of the tower in that the original building of the tower took three generations to complete and that the scintillations were originally intended to be an extremely accurate way of passing knowledge to new generations and making sure the world continued to minimize the loss of knowledge. However, they are now being used for entertainment disrespecting the eye-giver's sacrifice and the original intentions for the scintillations. Adam takes this personally, having had an eye removed himself, and is angered by the flippant use of something so dear to him. Adam is taken on a routine patrol to the end of the Black Trail, where the Ringdom soldiers collect offerings given by the Hods. He discovers a baby smuggled into the offerings and takes it back across the abyss to return it to the Hods, fearing for its life in Nebos. Speaking with one of the Elder Hods, he learns of the vast amount of orphans living in horrible and increasingly desperate conditions, and begins smuggling them into Nebos. He finds allies in Runa and Ossian, the Keeper of the Warren, who help him smuggle and house the children. Later, Runa and Adam go to the tower's library, where the eyes are kept. They meet with the Conservator, an automaton who stands guard over the eyes, and Adam learns he has been given special access to the tower's records. He discovers that the Nabosans attempted to assassinate the Bricklayer, 
fearing the ringdom would become a haven for Hods as the bricklayer intended. Adam notices that the bricklayer vanishes right before being squashed by the tower's capstone the would-be assassins intended to kill him with. Adam and Runa are interrupted by Runa's mother, Ida, who we learn has stolen a device that allows her to edit memories stored in the library. The Conservator attacks the group, and the four escape, but Elrin, Runa's brother and Ida's son, exposes Adam's plot to smuggle hot orphans into the city. Elrin and Ida take Adam to the Nautilus, where they plan to take his other eye, but they end up drowning in a fluid called slow water. The rumor of the bricklayer's intention for the Hods spreads throughout the populace, and they decide to vote on whether the Hods can stay and if Adam will be executed. The story then shifts to Senlin, who has joined Luke Mara's revolution and is aboard the Hod King, the machine Luke intends to take over the tower. Though Senlin begins as one of the many Hods navigating the machine's many legs, he is quickly promoted to a position of prominence close to the bridge, in Mara's inner circle. It is revealed that his value to Luke Mara lies in his knowledge of the Sphinx's lair, which Luke intends to use to supplant the Sphinx and unlock the mysterious power referred to as the Bridge of Babel, which Luke believes contains the secret to controlling the tower and becoming its master. Meanwhile, aboard the state-of-the-art, Edith and crew continue their search for the Bricklayer's paintings. Edith hopes they will provide a solution to the Lightning Reservoir, an overflowing reservoir of the Sphinx's volatile medium. It is growing more unstable, and if left unchecked, will explode and destroy the tower, killing all its inhabitants. With her is Byron, Aaron, Redelman, Valida, Anne, Maria, and Maria and Senlin's daughter, Olivet. Though she has survived being shot in the head, Valida has been acting strange and distant ever since the Sphinx's medium was used to revive her. Their attempt to retrieve another copy of the painting from the ringdom of Oyedin fails when they encounter the Hod King for the first time. Though the state of the art does serious damage to the Hod King, a Hod manages to take the ringdom's painting, and the Hod King successfully escapes. Edith and crew learn that Senlin is aboard the Hod King. Thanks to the tracking device, the Sphinx instructed him to swallow at the beginning of Book 3. They visit the Cistern, a ringdom rumored to be besot with plague, which turns out to be a protective ruse created by the ringdom's inhabitants. They are responsible for maintaining and cleansing the ringdom's water supply, and fearful of other ringdoms taking advantage of them. While Edith is speaking with the people of the ringdom, the Hod King appears, and a fight ensues. Edith, Aaron, and Volita narrowly escape with the painting, and take aboard the ringdom's wounded citizens. Aboard the Hod King, Senlin continues plotting in secret with Taru and Fingal, informing them of his desperate plan which involves them sacrificing their own lives to destroy the Hod King. Valida takes too much of the medium and begins going back in time. She meets the bricklayer and the original painter. The bricklayer senses she is not from his time and tells her that the alimonia must not be filled until the Nautilus is closed. The crew aboard the state-of-the-art deduce that Luke has enough paintings to open the Bridge of Babel, and they make plans to destroy the Hod King before it can get there. They make their way to Cilicia, the ringdom right below the Sphinx's lair, and learn that it has recently been abandoned by their queen and the general population. Edith, Volita, and Redelman are attacked, and during their escape, Volita once again goes back in time and is told by the bricklayer to put the capstone on the tower in Nebos. 
While Edith, Valida, and Redelman are in Cecilia, Duke Willem Pell sneaks his way on board the state-of-the-art, seeking his revenge. He confronts Maria and shoots Byron in the chest. Maria and Anne run for their lives, but before the Duke can kill them, Byron returns and shoots him in the head. Byron doesn't have a heart, so this totally makes sense. Edith and Redelman are ambushed by the Hod King. Redelman tries to follow through on his plan to plant a bomb on the machine, and it does explode, but the Hod King's destruction is due to Senlin's plan. Though the Hod King is destroyed, Mara escapes in a secret escape pod, taking his inner circle and the now exposed traitor, Senlin, upward into the Sphinx's lair. After Mara's escape, Edith gives Cilicia to the Hods he has abandoned and heads to Nebos with hopes to stop the Zealot. Arriving in Nebos, the crew stops Adam from being hanged, and Edith interrupts the citizens' accord on the Hods, claiming as the Sphinx's mouthpiece that a negative vote will betray the Bricklayer's original intent for Nebos as a Hod refuge. The Ringdom votes to let the children in. Valida explains the Bricklayer's instructions, and Adam and Runa work to put the capstone on top of the pyramid. The remaining crew enters the Sphinx's lair, trying to find the Sphinx, while Valida heads off to search for Senlin. Edith, Redelman, and Eren find the Sphinx's corpse in a room full of her automatons. Eren gives her a classic Eren eulogy, telling her that she was a terrible boss, but that her less hammer, more heart advice has helped her become the person she is today. They discover the Sphinx left behind two messages, one for Edith and one for Luke Mara. Luke's message waxes philosophical, discussing the inevitable downfall of tyrants, and Edith's message is destroyed before they can hear it in its entirety. Senlin finds the elevator that leads to the bridge and unhappily assists in deciphering the password hidden within the pictures. Though try as they might, the door to the bridge will not open. While Luke and team work on opening the door, Senlin spots Valida hiding in a ventilation shaft, motioning for him to escape. Seizing on the moment, Senlin sprints to the shaft and away from Mara and his crew. Senlin is reunited with his old ship crew, but the reunion is cut short by Luke, Mara, and company. As a fight breaks out, the Sphinx's automatons activate and begin attacking everyone. Senlin and Volita fight Mara, Delith, and Mara's armored engineer, Gedge. Redelman fights Kale, but is stabbed by Mara. Edith fights Thornton, who gets beheaded by one of the Sphinx's automatons. Senlin, Eren, and Volita team up to defeat Delith, and finally, Edith and Mara duel above the Lightning Sea. Mara overpowers her, but Redelman tackles him, saving Edith, but sending both himself and Mara into the Sphinx's medium. The crew returns to Nebos, but find the ground rumbling. Edith orders all back to the ship, but Anne informs them that Maria has left the ship, claiming she wanted to go for a walk. Senlin is caught between returning to the ship and searching for Maria. Edith makes the decision for him, pushing him into the ringdom and then giving him their secret three-tap knock, signaling him that he should be at peace. An unspoken understanding forms between them as they part ways. Edith, Eren, Byron, Teru, and Gol leave the ringdom and watch as Nebos detaches from the tower and disappears into the sky. Edith is left to resolve the chaos created by Luke Mara's attempted power grab, and Byron dubs her the new Sphinx. She initially refuses, but after Byron explains that she will be one in a long line of Sphinxes, she takes up the mantle 
and agrees to continue the Sphinx's stewardship of the tower. Edith's tale comes to a determined close as she places the Sphinx's mask upon her face, reserved to be the best Sphinx she can be while staying true to herself. Our focus flies up to the starbound Nebos, where Valida and Adam stumble across the bridge of the now spaceship city and are confronted by a projection of the bricklayer, which appears to be offering them the role of pilot and navigator as the city ship flies to an unknown location. While taking inventory of her supply of the life-giving medium, Valida finds the dead Rettleman, who has become a program on the ship, and offers very little explanation as to how or why this happened. He is able to read some of the ship's files and classifies the ship as an Ark, theorizing there may be others as well. Valida suggests the ship is outfitted for war, though its true purpose and destination remain a mystery. Valida, Adam, and Rettleman's story ends as they open a door previously unable to be opened by any of the tower's previous generations and boldly stride into the unknown. Our story concludes, focusing finally upon Senlin and Maria. Some time has passed, and Maria is rebuilding her identity, no longer using Senlin's last name, and Senlin resumes teaching for the orphan children of the Black Trail. He visits Maria and apologizes for everything, for burdening her with his mediocrity, claiming he isn't deserving of her love and affection. She chastises him, saying that he never respected her judgment over his own, and that she was willing to sacrifice her own well-being to protect Olivet and him by sending him away in Pelphia when he was the one to abandon their life when he kissed Edith. Senlin apologizes for his self-pity, his faithlessness, and all the pain that he put her through. He says she is free to do whatever she feels best, and that he will continue to love her and be the best friend he can be. Maria tells him that while she is not, and may never be, ready to forgive him, the love she holds for him has never changed, and she wants him to be in Olivet's life. The romance and trust between them, though fragile, holds a kernel of hope as Senlin walks with his daughter under a blanket of stars, thinking of all the curious, marvelous wonders that await them. And curious, marvelous wonders is, this book is rife with those. I had that, that was such a great, image and the last oh my god i loved that last couple paragraphs of this entire series was senlin i pictured him like walking down like this nice road with some some houses on either side it was like a normal kind of like neighborhood but there's just like this huge blanket of stars over them because they're out in the middle of space and it's just if you had showed me the first couple chapters of this book and said where do you think senlin is going to end up i would never have said probably on a spaceship with his daughter like come on that is Wow. Straight up. Wow. However, oh I'm I am going to give myself a little pat on the old back because I'm pretty sure somewhere in book two's podcast, I was like, is this book series gonna end with Senlin becoming a space pirate? Dude, yeah, you did say <laughs> I don't remember exactly what it was, but I think I remember I do remember like completely writing off what you had said. Yeah, <laughs> I was I like, mean, there's I said no it way. Facetiously. <laughs> yeah, but there's no yeah, wow. What a cool ending. I mean, what there cool are ending. parts of the ending that I was not super stoked about. Me too. Let's talk about that, right? Let's go right yeah, to the end. Let's go right to the end. That's what that's a juicy part. We can get less yeah. juicy as we go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's so much juice in this whole thing. We're, it's gonna, we're gonna get buckets of juice. Okay, so I want to ask you a question. What do you think about the conversation at the very end between Senlin and Maria? 
and her response, his response. What are your thoughts on that? I think even up until the very last couple of pages of this book, he's still kind of not getting it, <laughs> which I <laughs> which I really liked a lot because he's grown so much over these over this whole series. But like even when he's apologizing for putting her through what he put her through and just I mean just her experience in general, he's still kind of making it about him. Mm-hmm. No, I mean he's still like she even well, is he's just not like, respecting her judgment, her opinion. Exactly. He holds his opinion over hers. Like he holds his self-pity over any opinion that she might have of him. It was a very like realistic way for a relationship like that having gone through everything it's gone through like it's a really understandable place for two people to land at after everything they've been through together did it fit like what i wanted to happen no not at all in a lot of ways but did it make sense like absolutely and and you know i think that it's it's kind of a cool thing that you know the thing that senlin's been chasing after this entire series is just getting maria back like he wants her back that that would be the way things are supposed to be right mm-hmm. he's trying to this this whole series is trying to revert back to having maria like she's like this thing he's been chasing and if only he could just get this thing then he would be happy and and settled and comfortable again right but then at the very end of the series he's he's got her but not really and like not it's not exactly right but he's like he's still happy he still feels good about where he's at Wow, it's like I was just like it's like pouring in right now. Everything that's like making <laughs> sense about this. I'm so glad we get to talk about this because I had so many hangups and different avenues that my thoughts went down after finishing these books. But it's nice to direct them t- towards you. I mean, what did you think about that whole thing? I understand it, and I don't <laughs> think Mari is wrong. And it's not something qualifying qualify. qualify. Um, I, I thought she was being a little too hard on him. Honestly, it was like okay, <laughs> yeah. She and she kind of threw in his face, like, and you were the, like, I was over here making actions to save our daughter and to keep you safe. Like, that was my motivation. You're not listening to me. You're still not listening to me or respecting my judgment. And like, you were the one to betray our relationship by kissing Edith. And it was like, okay, yeah, it's a little but harsh. At the same yeah. time, like, he didn't know if you were alive. Like, the struggles of two people going through crazy life and death scenarios together can really build a bond. I don't know. They they both made some mistakes you know like i don't know i'm kind of team maria on this one well i mean like i said i'm not saying she's not wrong she is right but like she couldn't forgive him she's still not ready like man the guy like look at his actions he went through hell and back again for love for you right but he also like ran straight to his hotel room to go send edith a love letter yeah like yeah, the I mean, he was second confused. like the <laughs> You're, you're willing, I mean, you're willing to long? give Semlin so many passes. Maybe it's because you spent so much more time with Semlin. <laughs> but like, I mean, what did Edith? I mean, not Edith. What did what did Maria do wrong? What was her effort for trying to find Semlin? Like, whatever happened in the store? She was in a forced like marriage. Like, Someone she couldn't just, like, get out of that situation her from the clothing store. Yeah, that was the exact situation. Like, she was never in any position of power at all. Like, she had no, no autonomy, no agency at all no, in this entire situation. Spent a while in the baths being tricked by that dude um, who ended up selling her into slavery. So she wasn't a slave up until that point. Oh, you're talking like, about like the point bef- like between when, when they first got separated yeah. and I guess it never really, does it go into that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not hugely, but we do, we are privy to a part of where she's in the baths and we're learning about her, 
having a relationship with this guy who's like, I'm gonna help you by introducing you to this club of like philanthropic helpers. Yeah, but but see, like what I'm thinking is like maybe that was her way of trying to get back to Senlin and like trying to figure out like how to navigate this tower that she knows I mean, nothing about. And then because of her effort, like and if you look at it, she had a worse time of it than Senlin did. Oh yeah. You no, know? oh, I yeah. mean like she absolutely did. Like Senlin was out gallivanting and like obviously his life was in mortal peril quite of quite often. Um but he was still like I mean look at it from Mario's perspective, right? It's like I'm being held against my will in this horribly abusive relationship with my child being up for like you know what I mean as like a gambling tool and What's Senlin off doing? He's off kissing pirates and like, you know, like, like, I mean, meeting, okay, he meeting kissed Miss... a <laughs> You're pirate. Right. Well, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I get. Not really. I, His I see... entire motivation was fueled out of love trying to. He spent the whole, I think it was a year. How long did the story take? Place like a over? year. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. The entire time he is struggling to get her back. It is the motivating factor to do that. And. But we've already the opportunity to sail literally into the sunset. But does he do that? No. He decides to make the hard decision and keep looking for not saying he's without fault or anything. I just think she's been too harsh. Yeah, I don't. Because he wouldn't respect her opinion. Like, man, we're all kind of uh, selfish (laughs) a-holes from time to time. I I think I I totally see where you're coming from, but I just I I just disagree. Like, I just I mean, I don't think I I guess I agree that she's being pretty harsh because it's like, look, at it's Senlin. You're married. You got the baby. You're in this whole new place. Like, just you know, just maybe, maybe just throw the past behind you and maybe try to like start over. Yeah, you know, don't like forget about like, it. Like Learn whoever's like evolve. more at more at fault. But that's but you know what I mean. Like as harsh as like she might be being in that moment. This the story ends with like kind of they're probably gonna get they're gonna figure it out. Like, but right. it makes sense that somebody that's been through such a traumatic experience would be a little bit kind of like hesitant to jump right back on to everything being cool again like she needs some time you know she's i think a good example of that is her changing her name back to what it was before she married Senlin. like she wants that agency back she wants that autonomy back she hadn't had it this entire time no no that i totally understand that was a she wants to develop an identity that is independent of her relationship with him which i totally respect and i'm 100 percent well and like senlin's i mean like senlin rescuing maria was part of his persona like imagine being on the receiving end of that it would be so weird to be like this object of like success and growth you know what i mean like like she is like his tool for figuring himself out you know what I mean? Like it's it's yes, weird. But like that's I, not his I, motivation. Like it happens to kind of be that way. But I think right, yeah. He, it's it's love and care for her. And I think I don't know. I just like I said. I think she's being. I, yeah, I, I think agree I, I think with I'm where mostly. she's coming from. <laughs> it's just like, dude. Wow. Like you're gonna put this. I don't know. I will say. You're like, just I will get over it. Yeah. Well, I mean, not get over it, but uh, you know, just uh, forgive him. Forgive him. Right. But I think that her whole point is like. Like the fact that he wanted her to do that almost, you know what I'm saying? No, well, like she wanted, he wanted her to forgive like him. Like she was kind of just like, oh, cool. Like we, you're just gonna come back, and you want like it, like well, that's not what he was saying. He wanted, but like to to Maria, I feel like what she was doing was basically saying like, oh, you think that we're just gonna like be this happy family now after like everything that happened and you're still not getting it like you're still coming to me and apologizing for how much of a piece of shit you are and like (laughs) you're still making it about you and you've made this entire thing about you and you've made 
rescuing me about you, you know, like the one right. opportunity that I gave you to go save yourself, you wouldn't even listen to me. Like, why should I be with somebody that won't even, that won't even put my opinions and my thought processes and what I want over. But if she, if you would have listened to her, probably wouldn't have worked out so great for her in the long run. So maybe she's not, so maybe her true. opinion isn't so great. <laughs> No, I totally understand what you're saying. And like, Sendlin is a bit of an over forgiver. Like, it's like, dude, re- are you actually like, sorry? Or not an over forgiver, an over apologizer. You know, right. it's like, it does seem like sometimes he's just saying the words strung in the order that will get him back out of the doghouse. But what else is he supposed to say? I mean, right. like, I mean, like, it's, I don't know. He, yeah, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wiffle waffling a little bit here. You know what I mean? Cause it's, it is kind of like at this point, what can he really say other than I'm sorry that you went through this. Most of this is my issue and my fault. I don't know what else we can do from this point on, but I'm here for you. He did it. He was pretty good about it. You know what I mean? Like he's not a good conversation. It reminded me of like conversations that I've had, like in relationships, you know what I mean? It was so real. Like it was so, it's not like this cut and dry thing where one person forgives another person. It's like, there's different degrees to like who was at fault with things and like right. different it's not degrees. Like you're of, right. Right. It's like, I mean, I'm personally of the opinion that Maria is for the most part, like a victim in all of this. Oh, for you know? sure. She was in a very um, traumatic, like shitty position, but it wasn't Senlin's fault. Well, I mean, I guess technically, like if you really want to go all the way back to the very beginning of the first book, like it is Senlin's fault. That they it's got like separated. Fault by inaction. Well, I mean, it was he was supposed to. Um, they were supposed to tie each other together. I mean, that was a recommendation from. But the he should have listened to it. He like, should have listened to it for I sure. I mean, if he but had, like, none it, of this would have happened. Totally, like, totally. But I mean, if she wouldn't have wanted a fancy bra on her night, then it would. I mean, you can always play this game of. Well, no, but they. But if he, if he hadn't been so like, oh, I'm not going in there. You know well, what I right. mean? Like that's why he, I say we can play like, this game. You know, right, all day yeah, if you wouldn't want to. You know, it's like yeah. I don't think it's really either of their fault. Right. Um, totally. That's like the more. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. 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 But I mean, you know, they're 100 and, and that's the main theme of this book is uh, lessons and how mistakes are going to happen. You're going to stumble in your walk. Obstacles are going to come about and you're going to turn right sometimes when you should have turned left. That is inevitable. I mean, this book literally ends with Senlin making another mistake. But unlike the beginning of the book, and it's kind of the point, right, is like unlike the beginning of the book where he learns some new information, he gains knowledge, he does, he has no wisdom, which is the application of that knowledge. He sees it and goes, interesting, ha, ha, ha. It's a shiny bobble to him, and he doesn't do it. He doesn't act it out. But at the end, he learns a lesson and then applies it and makes action, you know? Right. And that's he like finally the- does listen to Maria. Like, right. he, like he, that's a really, really key conversation because it's like, he doesn't really, he comes to that conversation kind of doing the same thing he would, he would always do <laughs> is just be like, oh, I'm such a piece of shit. Like, oh my God, I'm so like not worthy. <laughs> I'm a bumbling oaf. And I think that's what people do um, sometimes um, in relationships, like, a, like an emotionally immature person would do something like that, would like come into a relationship and if they feel like they messed up, they're just like, oh, I'm like not even worthy of love. Like you're so much better than me. Like you don't deserve me at all. Right, it's like forgiveness. Or, no, I don't deserve pity. you at all or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's like a really lame thing to do because you're still putting emotional like work on the other person. Like he's making Maria do the emotional labor of forgiving him for his perceived slights I guess right. you know what I mean. And it's like, like that's like, I'm really not perfect. Then yeah. It's like okay, right. <laughs> it's a weak answer, you know. 
Okay, well, I have one more thing to say on it to cap it off. I think it is a really cool look into forgiveness and kind of how it functions. And I've experienced this myself. You know, I've been told that like, I'm not ready to forgive you yet. But what happens at the end of that conversation? You kind of move forward and not as if you're forgiven, but it opens a door that wasn't previously there. And it's interesting to me that the exp- the act of expressing the willingness to try and that you're not there yet is like the first step along the road of actual forgiveness in a way by her them having that conversation and like talking about it and being authentic and real with each other it's like the the first seam of the 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 stitch of forgiveness has been sewn already right and i think that it's a real mark towards senlin's character development that he's able to actually finally listen to her and say like all right yeah i'm gonna go ahead and respect where you want to be. I'm going to continue to be a father to all of it. If at the bare minimum, we're just friends that have a baby, there's like 60,000 other people in this ringdom. Right. Like we'll, we'll get it figured out. There's no one like Edith, though. No. So let's talk about uh, Edith. Let's talk about Edith. Let's uh, talk let's about end, Edith. Let's start with their ending, just like we did with yeah. uh, Mari and Senlin. Uh, man, I, I wanted Senlin and Edith to get together so bad. Me too. And... I don't know. Like, I still don't really know how I feel about it. Like, I don't... In order for them to be together, Maria needed to die. Right. Or, yeah, I think so. Yeah, or find I, love elsewhere. Honestly, I mean, like, I really thought um, either Edith or Senlin was going to die. Me too. I was actually starting to think, like, towards the end of this book that Edith was going to die. And that would have been really interesting, too, because then that would have been, like, another weird thing in Senlin and Maria's dynamic. Because yeah. it'll always have been like this. Would he have been with her if oh, she what right. if she had? I thought that's the direction it was going to go. But it makes sense for Edith to like become the Sphinx. Um, and I don't know if Edith would have been able to be a good Sphinx if like Senlin was just kind of like around. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's a distraction. <laughs> he's such a distraction. He's such a distraction. <laughs> I think that maybe because Edith was the new love interest, my brain kind of like immediately went to her. It's like a, it's almost like this weird thing where. If somebody new comes along and you feel like you want to be with them, like maybe they're they're way better for you. But that's not always what it is. You know what right. I mean? That's not like maybe like like I mean Maria and Senlin are married. They they have a history together. They are in love with each other. There mm-hmm. is love there. It just really goes to show that like you are capable of having feelings for multiple people and it's it can get like really right. really complicated like emotionally. When that happens, I mean, if if not if 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 one kiss isn't um, infidelity, then there was probably like Mario wasn't around for Senlin's escapades with Edith. Like, right. I mean, like how there would you feel? If, like, yeah, like there was some emotional cheating there, where there was just kind of like, man, like how close did those two really get? Right. Like emotionally, you know, like how long? And is she it, saw Edith's reaction whenever he got brought up and things like that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so. um I mean, it would be difficult in Maria's position to kind of like move forward with a relationship when maybe, maybe she just feel maybe she's worried that Senlin is still kind of hung up on Edith and she doesn't. And may, maybe she thinks that Senlin isn't the kind of guy that would admit that. I mean, look at the evidence that she has. I mean, to she's kind of like, right. <laughs> right. She's like kind of right. <laughs> um, so like as honest and good of a person as Senlin is, like he's not like super like clear no. about stuff, you know. Um, so, yeah, the Edith Senlin um, Maria like triangle was very very well done it was very yes. interesting and it was just, very real it was very yeah really real and really refreshing and how real it was it was messy and it would be mm-hmm. messy it'd be really messy and messy in like a like a hazy kind of way and like a right and not in like a very exciting dramatic way 
in like a no one really knows anything (laughs) it would be so oh it'd be such a weird maelstrom of emotions to be rescued by your wife and her newfound bestie this hunkish (laughs) guy and then realize that they spent the last year like sleeping on the side of the tower going through trials and tribulations learning and growing and you're like well i don't want my first emotional response to you rescuing me be jealousy but like kind of though (laughs) i really liked edith a lot like edith um quickly became one of my favorite characters man she's just she's just so proactive and focused and dependable yeah and just like dude like once edith thinks that they need to go do something it's happening i guess i felt like so confident every time edith was around because bancroft kind of like throws a little bit of a red herring in there he mentioned that um, Volita was going to be the next. Yeah, Sphinx. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, and I, I thought that was going to be the situation, but it's Edith. It's really interesting. What do you think the Sphinx's extent of knowledge about the Bricklayer's ultimate vision for the tower and the space exploration was? Do you think she knew that and thus her taking Volita under her wing was prepping her to be like the Sphinx of that? I don't think she knew that much about it. Okay. For one thing, I think that her plans might have been a little bit different if she really did know. But I I think that the Sphinx and the Bricklayer were one person at one point. I think that the Yes. I, I think that the Bricklayer was the Sphinx. Oh, it said that then, he is. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I think I remember that. I thought maybe that's why I think that. He um, created him because he needed to a person yeah to blame, he needed somebody kinda. to blame all the cool crazy like automate automations on and i think that like as time went on you know the bricklayer kind of wasn't in the picture anymore and so a lot of his intentions had kind of got swallowed up with everything else going on and um yeah i don't think this thing's like like new really mm, yeah um just to go back because i want to put a period on this sentence i do think that though i was disappointed edith and sunland didn't get together the knock was a really clean way of saying everything that needed to be said without taking us through the boring process of actually hearing it. I think that Bancroft really knew that people were pulling for Edith. Mm-hmm. And I think that Bancroft was pulling for Edith, but yeah. that's just not the way that this shook out. And I think that he created such great, amazing characters that they they took control of this story and he was writing the logical thing for the development that they had. You know, I mean, right. that's how you know you got a really good story on your hands is like you're kind of at a point now where you're just watching all this unfold. You're just typing it out. Which is awesome. That's such a cool concept. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. And I mean, because every single character, at least the, not every single one, but like every character that has a POV um, and a few that don't are so, so distinguished. Like they're mm-hmm. so, oh my God. Like, like even Finn Gold. <laughs> yeah, even Finn Gold, Taru. You know, Luke Mara, like all, even Luke Mara's like henchmen that it kind of got, usually like henchmen are kind of like whatever, but Gedge is so much different than Deleth, like the mm-hmm. spider lady. And you know what? Byron is still my favorite character. I agree. Byron has gone down for me as like one of my top 10 favorite fantasy characters ever. He's so cool. Sunland and Byron are my favorites, but man, Byron's so unique and awesome. Dude, like Sunland is like not even one of my fa- favorite characters. I just, he makes me laugh. He, I just totally, he's yeah, so funny, and he doesn't take himself too seriously. And like Sunland at the end of the book is my favorite. <laughs> Let's talk about that scene. This is the scene that I wanted to talk to you most about. Okay. Anne and Maria are on the state of the art with, with and Byron's there too, and then Duke Wilhelm comes up. 
and it's just it's so like classic like ah, i'm still a problem you know like <laughs> i'm coming in i'm gonna add like one more little sheet of terribleness <laughs> onto this stack of paper and then he shoots byron in the chest and i want to ask you did you think byron was dead i did me too i, I seriously did. i was I, I was honestly pissed. did because he shoots him because there's like multiple parts where Maria's like like moving him and stuff and his his, his tongue is out and he's just like bah! like he's just like super <laughs> dead and I was so I was like legitimately annoyed it was the most annoyed that mm -hmm. I had been in this whole series because I I remember thinking like I have so much respect for this author and it's like it felt cheap like it felt like he knew how cool of a character Byron was and he killed him because he knew how much we liked him yeah you know and then it was like a gotcha i had like yeah i had like such as this, this just like this crazy like windfall of emotions of just just like how could you do this <laughs> these characters are like, important to me yeah and then <laughs> and then he comes back and he's just like i don't have a heart and then he <laughs> <laughs> Which is like a double entendre because it's like it's like you'd have to not have a heart kind of to like shoot somebody in the head, uh -huh. but, but it's and then he it's just like such a cool thing to say to somebody like right before you murder them, right? It's, uh, but it's like no, he does have a heart, you know, figuratively, uh, right? But he doesn't actually have a heart. <laughs> it's just oh my god, that Which was, was so um, cool, so awesome. Yeah, he very easily it would the easy route to go down with byron would have been the data from star trek questing to be more human what is a human and while there was a touch a sprinkling of that it was not like byron wow. is unique and he's totally okay with it he's his own person like he's his yeah. own character like, he's unique and it's cool with it god i love byron yeah i want a whole so spinoff of byron and then he even feels bad after it he's yeah. like i've never killed someone before and i don't I like the emotions <laughs> Did he, did they ever repair his antler? Because in my brain, I don't think he was so. always antlered. And then I kept reminding myself that he only has one antler. But oh, I kind of like... liked the image of him with only the oh, one. Really? <laughs> yeah, that's how I kept picturing him for the rest of that book. Yeah. He never gored anyone, which wouldn't have been in character, but <laughs> I kind of fuck? hoped that he was going to. <laughs> I just, I just pictured like a struggling enemy on top of his head as he throws him off the side of the state of art, nah, you know? That's not Byron. That ain't I Byron. know, but it would be cool. Okay, while we're talking about the Duke coming aboard and that scene, can you lay it out for me? Give me the imagery here. Because like it was not poorly written by any means, but there was so much happening. I struggled to kind of understand it all, even after two reads. So like the paper boy drops in, but then it's not the paper boy, it's the Duke. Kind of walk me through that in your mind. I mean, that's about what it was. Okay, so there wasn't actually a paper boy? There, um, no, but um, like the Duke was like posing as one. There's like this service, like this paper service, like the acorn. And doesn't doesn't he shoot him with like a crossbow? Yeah, he pulls was out a crossbow. It, that was what it was. So because there's like that sniffer thing that like sniffs to yeah, gun, yeah. for gunpowder, which is like an elephant trunk. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, so cool. So that's how he was able to sneak on. So that was like another kind of like red herring where because I wasn't expecting that at all. By this point, I had like completely forgotten about the Duke. Like I thought Edith had properly scared him and it wasn't going to be an issue. But it is kind of a it is kind of a interesting thing because it's like why even have him come on there at all? It didn't really do much to further the story, I guess. Um, like Maria now knows that he's dead, I guess. I, so that's cool. Um, but I like, think what for do you two think? reasons? Yeah. Um, one is it's in line with his character because he's a totally. power man. Yeah, you know, right. he's not going to yeah, let he wouldn't that have, he slight. Wouldn't have yeah, you're right. You're right. And then two, it needed to happen for that's uh, kind of two reasons. One. It to just not 
be unanswered. Like, is this a problem that Edith's now going to have to deal with in her sphinxing of the tower? And also, like, I think that Maria needed the closure. Like, it was kind of like a little revenge for her. You know, like, she needed to see that man die. Right. But that kind of leads me into something else that I wanted to talk about. Because wouldn't it be better, I guess, for Maria to be the one that did it? But I guess that's kind of like, I don't know. I guess not necessarily better, but... I think, and I think it's, that question is answered in subtly in the reaction that byron has it corrupted his innocence just the act of even if it's an evil person you're killing you're still killing and you're ending a life and it's a there's a corruption of your innocence that happens and i think that attention was drawn to that in byron's reaction to killing even though it was an evil person who deserved death um and so i think it was kind of a protective act by josiah to not have her have to experience that she kind of stayed pure the whole way through i guess (laughs) <laughs> i don't know like but like i mean did she ever kill anyone i don't think so. I, I don't really have any like strong um like feelings about that particular situation like either way um as far as like maria being the person that, to kill the duke but i do want to know your thoughts on the the kind of like last battle with mara i had some kind of issues with all of that like, it was a cluster so for one thing yeah like i thought it was kind of zany and just silly like there was so <laughs> much going on and it was just like I don't know, maybe it looks like a couple less henchmen would have been cool. But at the same time, I mean, there's a lot of crew members. So like they all, right, I but guess, I mean, need not only was fight, there but... so many henchmen, then he was like, and the Sphinx is automatons. Like, right. oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but I read also, it twice. But also, I think it's pretty lame. Like my one of my biggest issues with this book is I really wish that Senlin had been the one to take Mara out. He's with him the whole book. Mm-hmm. He's got to put up with Mara, like just being weird to him all the time. And he's like, you know, he's under quite a bit of duress. He's stressed out. This guy's like holding the, you know, his death over his head for this entire book. And then like, I don't know, like he's just kind of like, like Rettleman just like pushes him over and he dies. And it's just like, someone's like barely even there, you know? And it's just, yeah. I don't know. Like Senlin felt like kind of pushed at a, like to a, at a distance for a lot of this book it didn't feel like Sinlin's story anymore which is i mean it's not a bad thing right um that's not really one of my hang-ups with it but it's just it felt like that was kind of emphasized even more by him not being the one to to like take mara out but maybe that's just like my own kind of like like fantasy sensibilities where like the main character should like take out the bad guy you know that's not like the really like the way it would or needed to shake down but i don't know what do you think about that I don't know. I think it, I think Josiah Bancroft kind of evolved with his characters and not only his ability to write, but his understanding and vision for the story. And then I think he started with Senlin. I was like, cool. Senlin's the character that's going to be the vehicle for this story. But then fell in love, as he should have, with all of his other characters so much that he kind of changed the focus of the story especially in the third and fourth especially in the fourth book and kind of just broadened it to be like mm, the story's not really actually about something anymore it's about the whole crew i see what you're saying for sure i don't know that but whole it was, fight weird. was weird yeah i don't yeah. know um that was probably yeah there's like the whole fight in general i was kind of just like oh i guess we got the back you, you know how in like horror books and movies and stuff if you if you shed too much light on the monster or the killer um yep. it kind of like becomes like not, not as scary, scary anymore so it like takes away its power yeah once like mara was kind of like the yeah like like the like capital a antagonist of everything i don't know like it, he just kind of like became a little bit less like 
worrisome like i kind of just knew it wasn't gonna be a problem like it's he became almost like a MacGuffin. okay i have a question for you maybe you can help me understand it was never clear to me what the (laughs) yeah this book was so long and ridiculous go ahead sorry and layered anyway yeah um what is the nautilus to you i have no oh man i was gonna ask you that like there's i don't know what the anomalia is or the anomalia or whatever the library thing is that what that was i think no you're talking about the room that houses all the eyeballs that's like a completely different thing (laughs) we're the worst podcast ever (laughs) i even made a drum uh a definition of terms and a dramatis persona for myself so i could better understand but didn't get that <laughs> i don't know what the significance of the nautilus was i don't I know it was a ship for a while i don't know what's going i don't i don't know i missed it i missed it completely i am not i haven't just looked back <laughs> i don't fucking know like dude. they used it to burn senlin's clothes or right. uh, adam's clothes right adam yeah um and so well, that ship didn't and that's what um ida and elrin fell into well they they took them to the nautilus to i don't know do what well to to extract his eyeball or they were going to toss him in there oh so it's like a hole okay you know what a nautilus shell looks like right it's like the fibonacci spiral yeah so it's like that and there's like this rushing like fluid and it goes faster and faster until there's like the center of it which is like this like white ball of like light or energy or something in the middle oh. of it i thought it was like an engine or something i think you're right um, i don't I know though an i don't and it's because like the bricklayer said like don't do this until the nautilus is closed or something and i yeah. missed all of that i don't know what any of that meant i think it was i think it was like a roundabout way of saying like don't do this until this is closed or else the ship isn't going to be able to take off right i think he was right? saying that the the lightning pool of medium needs to be full before the nautilus is closed and then she was like it's already like super full and he's like great (laughs) great cool (laughs) go ahead and take off okay Um, okay, yeah i don't know i feel i feel um obviously i'm rereading these you know and i think that on a second read i'll probably get it i had a little bit of fatigue with this book not with the series, but with just this. This was a 636-page book with very small print, yes. and by and I marathoned like the last 400 pages of it. Same. So, yeah, I think I missed a little bit. I missed at least that. I don't know how crucial it really was. I think there was a certain sequence of events that needed to happen for um, Nebos to take off into space. Mm-hmm. So that's basically what all those little things were. Okay. Um, so, but yeah. I mean, the point is. The point we can actually talk about <laughs> is <laughs> the Nebos becomes a spaceship and flies off into space, which, which is so holy cool. shit. Okay, what did you think about that? I mean, a lot of this book is like a huge, is using the story to draw connections to things you experience in real life and things that you are or aren't in control of and how to react to them and growth and exploration. And I think that was just kind of, the ship to me was a final representation of the story goes on like and we move into the unknown and you know what that's okay not only is it okay it's not necessarily dangerous it's not something we should be afraid of like as uh, in the ending of the book they're going through that door adam and valida are going through the door that's never been opened before and so it's like not only the ship is going into the unknown they're also going into the unknown area of the ship together and- together and valida puts adam's gun down and it's like we should be careful but we shouldn't be fearful 
Right. Totally. And mysteries and the unknown is not inherently dangerous. I really liked the um the notion that there were multiple towers. Oh, that one loved threw me that. for a loop. Loved that. Great. What does it mean to you? There's other towers on other planets. I think that the bricklayer is an alien. <gasps> um, and I think that the bricklayer is possibly I'm gonna get a little weird with this, but like I think the I think the bricklayer is like a an ascended being of some sort, like a god of some sort. Like Q in Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, who who, um, goes to different planets, assesses the situation and says, you know what, I'm going to build a test for the for these people. I'm going to build these towers on each of these planets. Right. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to have these towers be like this hotbed of total skullduggery, you know, and rapscallions. And we'll see if they can get if they can take off. You know what I mean? We'll see if they if if they prove they if, there are, if there are some cool people here. You know what I mean? Which which also I thought was like if that's the case, it's kind of lame that like the Nabosans are the ones that get to go out into space, right? I mean, I thought I, so too, but it, I was... you could you could extend on that. You know what I mean? And they could kind of extrapolate from what that means. Is like there are a bunch of people left over in the tower that don't get to go to space. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of like realism in these books. There's a lot of like harsh reality here. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of there's like a lot of people die. A lot of people don't get what they deserve. A lot of people right. get there's 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 different classes. There's different right. privileges, and there's just like it's it's very it's very reflective. It's very um, you know true like analogous. To, right. I mean, it, it works. Um, not but all I, the people who have the best things in the world deserve those things. Right, exactly. And I don't know, but maybe like Volita said, they are going into a war or something. So maybe <laughs> maybe it's not great, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like the, the ambiguity of the ending. I love your theory, by uh, the way. Oh, thank you. That's uh, right. I, mean, I personally really love an ambiguous ending. Um, yeah. But I mean, more than that, though, I love closure. So I, it's hard to reconcile. Um, <laughs> you know, I can appreciate I can appreciate one while loving one more. I am kind of a... A, a closure guy like i like i like everything being sewn up but it wasn't and that's totally fine and i think and that kind of the point kind of the point yeah exactly it's just like um and that's you know you can you can look at senlin and like his kind of quest after maria you know even though he was changing and she was changing and things don't always button up the thing the way that you think they're going to you know like look at edith she didn't think that she was going to be the sphinx in fact if you look at edith Edith thinks about the farm that she grew up on all the time. She doesn't like the tower. No, you know she what I mean. Be like a farmer. Yeah, she, but like this is this is it's bigger than her now. She's grown mm-hmm. past what she wants. She's grown past what she thinks would be better or better or would be nice or whatever. It would be nice to be with Senlin and be on a farm, but that's not Edith. Edith is going to take control. Edith is going to do the right thing. Edith is the person that needs to be. Edith is the tower's Batman. Edith is. The Sphinx that is—it's not the the Sphinx that the tower deserves, but it's the Sphinx that the tower, tower needs. needs. Right? <laughs> oh, I'm so glad I did that. <laughs> that was money, bro. <laughs> Bet you didn't think you were getting a Dark Knight reference today, folks. God, I'm such a nerd. Oh, that was fantastic. Uh, you're 100 right, though. You know, and and such an element and theme of putting aside your own wants to do what needs to be done. And kind of rising to the occasion is in this, is woven throughout this book, and she is a perfect example of that. And her donning the 
the mask of the Sphinx at the end is also a perfect example of that. What did you think about Aaron? We didn't really get a clean ending. And again, you know, like every time I say we didn't get a clean, it's like, again, I get it. That's the point. Yeah, <laughs> Life do. goes on. Struggles continue. I don't know if there was any character that deserved a little bit more closure. I thought it was her. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think, um, okay, let's, let me just preface this by saying the character I cared about the least was Adam. I just, I never, I like, I liked Adam a lot, but I never really cared really one way or the other about what was happening with him. Um, I liked the stuff that was going on around Adam. And I did, I did like the arc with him. He found out that he wasn't Valida's older brother. In fact, Valida is his older sister, technically. Oh, did you like that as a twin yourself? Yeah, I did. Yeah, because Vaughn is technically eight minutes older than me. Oh, is he really? Um, yeah. Wow, I would have never guessed that. I always, <laughs> I always joke and I say that I stayed inside to put on my face. <laughs> he hates that joke. <laughs> I needed a little <laughs> bit more beauty rest. I mean, Adam, like he had like this cool kind of thing where he started taking Valida a little more seriously. And, you know, he, he was always protective to a fault with her. Um, but I didn't really see it. Um, shine through really I mean, i guess it did like i don't know he's he's just a good dude he, adam's right. just a good guy um whatever but aaron i really really loved aaron me too I, oh man like that 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 is a trope that i will never ever get sick of is the 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 brute with the heart of gold trope <laughs> i cannot ever like the like kratos in god of war you know what i mean like like this person that will like tear off people's heads but don't you dare harm the little girl that she has grown so attached to you know right I mean, like I a big softy and a ginormous right, body. yeah I, I i really liked aaron a lot um like two characters that i would love to see spinoffs for would be aaron and byron those would be really good i mean aaron and Anne made so much sense like Anne, oh man, don't even get me started on Anne. I wish Anne had been there from the very beginning. She was great. What an awesome addition. I wish Anne had ridden on the train into the whole beginning of the book with yeah, Senlin and Maria. Yeah, yeah, and Anne was just so like understanding and like she listened to everybody. And her and Byron were so great when like she hands Byron the baby and Byron like has to change the baby and stuff. And it's just like, it's just such a mess. And they, <laughs> oh my God, he's like, what? wait, where are you going? And she's just like, I have to go to the bathroom, dude. Like, can you just, and he's just like, ah, okay, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, what do we do? Um, my favorite scene with Anne is her alone in the uh, like map and navigation room. And she's like petting the wall mural like the chipmunks and squirrels like painted or etched <laughs> onto the wall and she's like paint she's just so like weird and we all have those little like unique weirdness that like we wouldn't do in front of other people but when we're alone we will and it was just like it was just a cool glimpse into her weirdness and i love that i don't even know if you're going to be able to answer this i don't know if anybody could answer this uh -oh. but i have to yeah, i know i'm putting you on the spot here buddy what happened with the sphinx like did she just barricade herself in her lair was she counting on her automatons to like take her obviously not very like her obviously inept not very well built automatons is like take care of her like it's really weird that he's just like walked in and she's dead and she had a couple recordings like there was just i don't that was weird can you please yeah. tell me what your thoughts are on that yeah i don't know if they'll be satisfactory but we'll give it a shot here yeah. um i think the sphinx is a lesson in like what happens when you become too jaded and you cut yourself off from the world in your little 
tower of superiority. But no, no I don't think I, she deserved. I don't a think that's ending. I love you. <laughs> I love you, Chad, and I think that your brain is amazing. But I don't <laughs> think that's. I don't think that's even an answer. Like what? I don't. Because I don't know. Because she just. She, in, in the last that we story, saw of her had more ending of her as opposed to this like weird like we stumbled across her corpse was it a sacrifice do you think it was due to like her like like did she know about sacrifice well, okay no, remember remember okay here, here okay here's what i think happened okay remember there's a very small scene in i think the end of the arm of the sphinx when volita is kind of hanging out with the sphinx and she has to like power the sphinx back up because the sphinx is just like ah like i'm i'm old as fuck or right. something you know what i mean i think that maybe she has like succumbed she like knew that she was kind of winding down um because that's the, that's the only explanation so like i could think of not necessarily suicide but it was just kind of like she knew that she's very old and very and you know kind of like pieced together with a bunch of different like metals and stuff and components and i think that she knew that her time was kind of coming and so she was being very proactive with senlin and valida and maria and aaron and stuff and like trying to like dole out as much advice and help as she could to these people because she knew that, and that's why she like locked herself in there is because maybe she didn't want to be right. Yeah. Maybe she didn't want to be like as a variable anymore. She, like, was she wanted to like, way. maybe that's sorry like to like, Edith I didn't mean to like, next... stumble, no, 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 like, not like, like stomp over what your response. I didn't mean to answer no, my own home. question no, with your, with, with my own question, but with my own answer, but, um, it makes no, like, no. sense. I, I think you're right. It was still just, I just, I, I guess I just, I don't like it when stuff happens off the page, you know, yeah. like, um, but she needed to be gone for Edith to be Edith and fulfill her potential. Oh, and she would have been, you know, it's like, um, representing power, the current power to be gone for someone else to take that place and for kind of the new chapter to begin. And she knew it was going to happen anyway, and probably was aware of the fact that she was a little out of touch and just like kind of a crotchety old lady. <laughs> But speaking of things happening off the page, um, another thing that I thought was like, yeah, come on. <laughs> like what? It's like Senlin's building up this whole entire plan with Taru and Finn Gold. And <laughs> then the Hod King just kind of explodes and crumples and is no longer a, an issue anymore. If there was anything that deserved a more climactic ending, it was the Hod King. Right, exactly. And then like and then Mara just like scuttles off and it's like, what was the point of any of this? Like, I mean, why not just like, why use the Hod King? Like, why not just use this little thing and like, be sneaky and, elevator. Like, like, I don't maybe. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do the same thing I just did and kind of answer my own thing. I don't need you here, chat. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> but like, maybe um, it was a testament to how flawed Mara's plan was like he wanted everything to be big you know like he wanted a big show of force and power that's why the Hod King was built sure he could have burrowed up into the Sphinx's lair with you know a little bug machine and just kept his like cronies in there with him but he wanted a spectacle he wanted to show the tower and have like have the the powers that be in the tower be afraid of this big thing he was building a, a conspiracy behind it you know yes. so that's like I guess yeah I, th I think you're halfway right okay because I think the it. other half of it is the same reason that he didn't reveal the fact that his legs work. He needed to. In, he needed the Hods on his side. He needed their um, patronage. And so by involving them, he was making a big Hod team. We're Team Hod. You guys are part of this. You helped me build it. I wouldn't have been in this place without you. We did this together. Yeah. Or else if he just takes over the tower, now he's like, okay, now I have to win over the Hods. It was like his act of simultaneously winning their favor and getting them on his side. And also the spectacle, you know. Yeah, like I thought that Mara was a really um a good villain, 
but not a very sympathetic one, yeah. which makes him not as good of a villain as he could have been. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, totally. it's very he was a classic bully. Yeah, he was a classic. Like I mean, he was kind of like a mustache twirly villain. You know, like I mean, that's at least the impression that I got because there are multiple times when he's talking to Senlin when he's kind of just like, well, yeah, like I really don't give a shit about the Hods. You know what I mean? Like I don't yeah. really care about any. Hodish is for the Hods. Yeah, like he's he multiple times is just like, like he's got books in his study that he's not blacking out. You know, I mean, like <laughs> he's multiple times is kind of just like. No, I want I want the power, man. <laughs> like, yeah. no, I want to control this whole thing. Like, this is, this is what I want. But I mean, I think it would, probably would have been a little bit more interesting if he like really did believe in some of the sentiments that he had been parading. But maybe if he did, he wouldn't have been willing to go to the same lengths. You know what I mean? Maybe he would have been, tried more diplomatic solutions to try and like, um, which is you know unfortunate because you'd think that the it, it's unfortunate the Hods couldn't piece that together. And say like, man, this guy's like pretty hell bent on getting up there, and like, right? Uh, you'd think that he would try talking with somebody, or you know. But I yeah, guess their I mean, situation was pretty bad too, right? And they yeah. were so rife for someone being like, "You have been stepped on and used your entire life. It is time for your comeuppance." And so he really like latched on to that, and you know, got a lot of support because yeah, these not wrong they have been stepped on and it is time kind of for their come up but he was such i get what you're saying he was like not very like interesting that's a good way of putting it yeah even before he's about they're about to open the bridge he's like i couldn't have done this without all of you you're so awesome but this is my moment this <laughs> moment is mine and i ask you genuflect before your king i like oh i gagged yeah. a little it's like what an absolute piece of shit <laughs> Yeah, I think that I think we're we're both right in the fact that like he is a terrific villain, but just not a very interesting character. No. <laughs> like like awesome to see him explode into a billion particles of dust or whatever. Like it said, <laughs> I thought that was great. Um it was a really good and uh, it was a really good death for him, you know, mm -hmm. cuz like he he kind of like falls into the ultimate power, you know. Like he kind of like Ooh, it's poet nice. I know. I'm being I'm His uh, own power the power can It's a little bit him. it's a little bit high school literature of me to say that, <laughs> but it's like to consume it. He tried to control it and it ended up destroying him. Yeah, I know. It's like okay. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool actually. The curtains uh, are I, blue, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um yeah, I mean I I think that I was kind of just overall a little bit disappointed that Mara was kind of just like the main bad guy of like the whole series, mm -hmm. like not necessarily a bad move. Um, I think that Bancroft had, it was a good idea for Bancroft to have a character who was creating a movement, like whatever the um, motivations behind the movement were, it was really interesting that the tower has so much substance and so much diversity to it that a movement like that could succeed to a certain extent. Um, right. It adds it adds a lot to the depth of the setting of these books. Yeah, but I I agree with you. I would have found him more interesting as a villain if I kind of almost a little bit agreed with his mission, which I did at the beginning. Yeah, you kind of do, especially when they get to the Golden Zoo, and he's kind yeah. of like he kind of like puts um, Edith in her place. You know, he's he's kind of like this this technology is awful in the wrong hands or whatever his like spiel was mm -hmm. but it was all an act you know he didn't really believe any of that right which but... is like removing his own power kind of because i sympathized with him at first uh one more thing on uh marat just being a classic bully and then this was one of the things that again removed him from being or made him less interesting was senlin dives into the wall right when he's escaping which side note is funny because it didn't require valida being there for him to escape <laughs> 
<laughs> she like gave him permission and he was like, oh, gets away. What does Luke do? He immediately gives Senlin permission to do the thing that he just said, just did. He was like, yes, run away, run away, live in my walls. Every house has a mouse in their walls and you will be mine. It's like he's losing control. And then totally. he immediately asserts his control, even while he's kicking the door and throwing a actual ten- temper tantrum. He's thinking to himself, I can stop this temper tantrum whenever I want. It's like. He's so not in control, but in control and just like, that's a so like classic bully 101, which is the humorous contradiction of a bully like Luke, because in the end, they're the ones who bring themselves down and specifically the lies that he allows himself to believe. Like the irony is kind of delicious. The fact that he believes himself to be so superior is in fact his like own worst enemy and the thing that makes him not superior and stops him from achieving his goals. I don't even have anything to add to that. That was great. Thank you. (laughs) That's good notice all around. Thanks, bro. What did you think it meant when Edith dones the Sphinx's mask and Byron asks how it looks? And she said the same. Everything looks the same. Uh, It seemed like Mara was kind of so dead set on getting to this this place of power. And then once he got there, everything was going to be fine. You know? Edith never really wanted it. That's interesting. I never, I didn't really think about it. Like the, the, when I read it, I felt like it was Edith being not necessarily disappointed, but just um, kind of like reluctantly, like reserved to the, her fate as the Sphinx. That was right. kind of like the way that I looked at it. It was kind of like she was just like, well, if it's got to be me, it's got to be me. Um, that mm. was kind of like my way of looking at it. Um, like it looks the same. It's, it's, it's just all right, here we go. It's the same as, as what I've been doing before. To me, it was just like, a, you know, the, the mantle of power is is what people believe it to be, but it doesn't change you. You know, just because you're holding a big gun doesn't make you special. You're st- everything's still the same, you know? And she had just as much opportunity to completely screw everything up before, you know, and like and like cause a lot of damage. And, right, she's you know, just she had as a lot of- now. Right. Yeah. She, I mean, she was the captain of the strongest ship in the fleet or in the, in the, in the air around the tower for a long time, you know, like she, she's not, I don't know if, if you think about it, like she hasn't really risen to that much higher of a rank as far as like her ability to sow discord, you know, she's already destroyed a few ports, you know, she's already, she's already. Yep, yeah. I'm with you. Uh, what did you think about the first time the state of art comes across? the hod king and that awesome battle that whole thing was so ridiculous so like that okay so that city is all made of glass walls i gotta hand it to bancroft for just throwing in cool ideas and then we never revisit them again and it's just it lends a lot to the world building it's just like and this is kind of how this place is um as he said before there is no hesitation or i don't think he didn't throw any of his ideas in this book. Right. Yeah. It's just a big giant bucket of ideas. <laughs> yeah. But so it's like this glass city. The the idea of this giant betting board, like they bet on everything. And it's like stories, like six stories high. It's like 60 feet high. You have to look at it through a telescope to be able to see where your bed is and stuff. I thought that was a, it was such a cool backdrop for this battle because there's obviously tons of people there. There's so many people around. It's a very public place. And I think that that kind of um, adds into my theory that Mara wanted to make a spectacle 
Um, didn't it? Wasn't it mentioned like earlier in the book that they didn't even have to do that? Like I think Gedge, didn't have to do what? They didn't have to go down to that ringdom. They could have. They had like almost gone out of their way to go through that ringdom to get to where they wanted to go. It was like a. It was like a one were there line for the painting. Well, they were there for the painting, but they they didn't have to. Uh, the hod that hod that was stealing it was already there. You know oh, what I mean? Right. Like I think I can't remember if it was like Gedge or if if, if it was Senlin or somebody says. Like yeah. we didn't have to do whatever we didn't have to be there for that, you know. I think it was Gedge. I could be completely wrong, but because they're kind of like they dun- they tunnel back into the tower after the the state of the art just pummels them, right? <laughs> and they almost lose power and stuff. They almost fall off the side of the right tower, and they ton of, they kind of tunnel back in there and they're kind of like resting and like repairing and stuff and kind of getting their bearings back. And then one one of the crew says why did we even do that you know and it's like mara wanted to make this big spectacle and like show right, off his glorious new toy. Ascent. if there's one thing that i kind of was like hmm that doesn't seem super consistent to me is finn goals how quickly finn goal accepted senlin's hail mary plan of self-destruction he does not seem like a go down with the ship sort of guy i know exactly what you're saying um Fingal, I think, because I, I had that thought too. I thought that Fingal really kind of like changed allegiance pretty quickly. Maybe not allegiance, but just, you know what I mean? He, he's kind of yeah, like not Team Senlin for a while. And then he kind of all of a sudden was. I think Fingal is really smart. And I think Fingal knew that it was either be stuck inside of this thing until he died. You know, I, I have a feeling he doubted that Mara was really trying to lead some kind of like hard revolution. You know, mm-hmm. he, he like Fingal knows a tool when he sees one. Oh, yeah. And I think that he knew that at least he could go out taking out the person that was trying to turn him into a tool. I wish that we had spent a little bit more time with Senlin, Fingal, and Taru. I know that the situation didn't allow for it because of Senlin's promotion to being on that deck with like Mara's inner circle. I just wish that there had been like some more exchange of information between them and like maybe some more They were a fun crew. They were, and like I, I liked Fingal and Taru and Senlin like together. I liked them in the Black Trail in the uh, in the last book. Was it the last book? I, I was just thinking yeah, that last... was it. I think it was. Yeah, it's yeah. Because the, the story yeah, starts getting, with um, my, them my... being on the Hot King. But like, so that kind of answers that question. And then like, where like Fingal and Taru kind of just like end up as like side pieces mm-hmm. in the end of this. And um, I do like I okay. This is all over the place. I'm sorry. I love you. No, I love good. everybody listening. Um, when Taru and Fingol come onto the state of the art and they're all like having dinner and stuff, and Taru talks to Byron about the food that Byron made, I loved oh that so much. It was so good. It was like I was this literally perfect... while you were saying that, looking through my notes to try to find the quote that I wrote down. Oh, cool. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. like, uh, man, Taru and Byron are like two characters that seem like they would never get along, but then I kept thinking about it after I read that conversation, and I was just like, man. They are they're really, they're, they're kindred spirits. Yeah, for sure. They both love comfort. They both, yes. they, love, they both love food. What's they're the both quote? weirdly kind of poetic. Your chops were as tender as a mother's kiss. Your loin should be framed and hung in a museum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then he says something about like Bernays, oh, right? Yeah. He's like, I can't, I'm, I'm going to butcher it. But he was basically just like, I've seen people make Bernays with with like this and then byron's just like you're not supposed to do that that's awful <laughs> he like agrees he's like, yeah that's so good <laughs> oh my gosh like so opinionated about some trifling matter <laughs> i love it i do really like while we're talking about things that we like the message from the sphinx 
to Luke. Oh, that, how, yeah. yeah, about how, like, basically it's a, a treaty on a tyrant and how, how, why are they always like bedwetters and, you know, explained <laughs> as like little men, basically. Yeah. And it's because their, their memoirs are always written by the people that they enslaved and were tyrants over. If you continue down the road of tyrant, you will die afraid and alone and violently. You will live in fear and die by violence and your name will be scorned for generations. Man, that's a pretty honest, like, this is what, this is the road you're going down, man. I can't remember. Does Mara hear that message? I don't no. think he does. Yeah, that's nah, a, that's like does. kind of a, I, I liked that. I remember thinking, yeah, that's a really cool thing that he never even hears that message. Because what do you, mm-hmm. he wouldn't have even listened. No. You no, know, that was for us. Like He's the so reader. wrapped up in self-deceit. Another thing that I really liked while we're talking about things that I just made me uh, either think deep or laugh was, I think it was really funny at the end when Adam and Valida are assigned the role of pilot and navigator, which at first is like, whoa, cool. Like what a super honoring, huge responsibility. And then are immediately told that the ship flies itself and their location is unknown. <laughs> like it doesn't need a pilot or a navigator. <laughs> Yeah, but they need to work together. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I dub the knight and of the realm upholder of the king's laws. Also, I'm an anarchist and I have no laws. <laughs> what? <laughs> Speaking of Adam, I think we should probably talk a little bit about like the whole first like third of the book, oh, uh, which yeah. we haven't talked about at all. <laughs> Yes. It's it's so like the the first third of the book was so cool and and interesting and different and also like pretty forgettable. Yes. Honestly, I I had such mixed feelings about it because I really was I was excited to get to Adam and I feel like it was very um satisfying. I was excited to hear what he was doing. It was satisfying as hell because there is this city made of gold in the clouds and there's a reason it's there. You know, and it's been hijacked by the kind of like the kind of like faux intelligentsia, which like, of course it has, you know, and it's it's all it all works so well. The reason behind Adam's celebrity makes a lot of sense, too. And it was really satisfied to to see that not only was there a reason for it, it was a silly reason and it was a really important reason and it led it, it it factored into like him finding out more about the tower it all worked so well but it was very like rambly i guess like it was really long it was, <laughs> like, really it was long. super long like i remember it could have been summarized like, a little yeah like there but i did like uh what did you okay what did you think about um adam and runa i liked it a lot yeah adam's me too. character yeah. is a little milk toast yeah. As we've already kind of stated. And so, I don't know, he needed another half to make him like a little bit more interesting. I liked Runa a lot. Me too. Runa was super cool. I on, I wish we had seen more of Runa. I liked the paintings that she was doing with like the skulls. Yeah. You know, um, and I liked how like, of course, her mom being so obsessed and like, just like an art snob, you know, I think that that was kind of Bancroft's I don't know if it was actually, but I like to think that it was Bancroft kind of being like, like I hate people that think they know everything about art and they're the ultimate arbiter of what's quality and what's good. And, right. You know, when it's like, like, it's a total subjective thing. Like objectively good art is like, and like, look at how you're doing yours. Like you're like completely like, like you're not even doing it. You're just copying. you like, you might as well be scanning a picture of a bowl of fruit. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it, I just thought that was, it was really nice. I like romances that kind of like, happen i can't remember what it's called it's like a romance of 
of um circumstance or something like that i think that's the Mm -hmm. trope it's like the shared bed trope you know what i mean right Um, or the single or whatever i really it's it's fun because it's like those feelings were already there but they're kind of being pushed toward them more by the circumstance um they're kind of being uh, like ushered along into a cool like cute romance through like what's going on in the book and yeah all, all of that was really great i just i think that I wish that he had cut it like halfway and then we could have got to Senlin or Edith or, you know what I mean? It was so, yeah. there's a lot of Adam in one spot for the like, beginning got... of the last book in a series. Like, yeah, bold, it, bold choice. Cotton. Developed the character of Runa and then literally like never heard about her again. Help me out here. So like, I was a little bit unclear on like who is where at the end of this book. So obviously yeah. Senlin and Maria and Olivet are in Nebos on the spaceship going yeah to space. so so senlin I'm quite certain that's right but i'm yeah so senlin maria olivet volita technically Rettleman, adam and runa are all on nebos correct one more time for me say that again sorry <laughs> okay i was looking over something like, trying to find something sorry it's all right it's all right so so runa adam volita Rettleman, technically <laughs> yeah um maria senlin and olivet are on the ship the spaceship yes okay and then the remaining people at the tower are aaron byron and edith and Anne. and Anne. okay yeah because because Anne and aaron have to be together yeah yeah so, she's okay. gotta be so that's how it split up okay cool cool, cool 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 yeah i was very confused though and the only thing that allowed me to clear the air was senlin saying to, I think maybe the kids in his classroom, like, look how exciting it is that we're now blasting into the unknown. And I was like, oh, yeah. okay, he's on the ship. What did you think about Senlin teaching again? Okay, I love the fact that Senlin ended as a teacher because he he comes full circle, right? And 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 that's also, as we said before, the same thing with his conversation. You know, he like begins by making a mistake and ends the book by making a mistake. He begins as a teacher or right after being a teacher and then ends the book as a teacher again. But it's not the same now before he was a fraud he was like a conductor who's only a conductor because he failed to perform as a musician now he's a master musician and can conduct with confidence and the understanding that comes with experience and it's just like living and experiencing is so important even for those trying to teach other people to live and maybe even more so for those trying to teach others to live and experience yeah it's got that i i liked it a lot i mean um he was probably already a pretty decent teacher at first but i I was thinking about like when when that kid kind of kind of sits up and is like why does this is like why does this matter like who cares everything's done for us i press the pudding Um, button i get pudding um so i was thinking like what would senlin's reaction to that question be before the events of these books right because he probably would have had some like really like pedantic like whatever answer of just like oh like i'm super (laughs) stuffy and like whatever um and it would have been a fine answer but it wouldn't have been a good answer it wouldn't have been what this kid needed to hear so he like became a better teacher through failing toward that you know he was able to give this kid a really solid answer to his question it wasn't an answer the kid liked really could fully even understand yeah but i mean but it was he was he was actually imparting knowledge instead of just answering the question to shut the kid up which i feel like is what he probably would have done uh, as a teacher before the events of these books right you know so yeah i mean i think he really 
it was a nice touch for Bancroft to have him not only grow like personally, but like give him something to do and do it well. He still has lots of purpose and like value to pass even more so, even more value to pass along. I want to read the quote because it's just awesome how he answers that kid's question. He says something, you know, it's like blah, a story. Blah, blah, he like tells the, a whole story. Yeah, that that story was awesome too. I love that. But he says before that about the mistakes that the inhabitants of the tower made, and the kid's like, "What mistakes?" And then he was like, "Understanding nothing or very little, and having no desire to understand what you already do well, uh, that invites entitlement. What was a privilege becomes a right, and I th- and that I think is dangerous. The mistake is to conflate want with need, to believe that the resources required of either are infinite." or that our understanding of these marvels is innate would be a terrible error to believe that it would be a terrible error to believe that the fragile things our ancestors built and gave us are inexhaustible and eternal. What a good asset to have Senlin understand that in a city where people did not seem to get that, you know what At I mean? Um, and you know, he needs to be on this journey with everybody. Like, I think it's a, it was, yeah, like I said, a really good idea to paint Sinlin as an important teacher. There are a lot of other teachers. It, it doesn't, it says that, but I think he's going to do a lot of good in Nebus. Relish the pudding, but that privilege does not relinquish us of our responsibility to be faithful custodians of the world we leave for our children. Yeah. Mic drop, Sinlin. Yeah, seriously. Um, do you have a favorite beginning? Because we've asked this question every um, book and so I want to ask it now. Do you have a favorite quote of the beginning of the chapters? Um, I didn't pick any of those out, but I did. I did pick out um, a favorite quote. Okay, I'm gonna get a little preachy here. Here <laughs> we go. <laughs> it's my podcast. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, the human race will march into the darkness, singing songs and telling stories because that is who we are and what we do. I, I love that so much. I mean, um, we will always be doing this. It doesn't matter. Like I, I, I'm a firm believer in this. Until the last human is standing, we will be drawing pictures in the ashes of the society that we burned down. We will mm-hmm. constantly be creating art. We will constantly be making music. We'll, we've been doing it the whole time. You know what I mean? And we will never stop. And to put a little bit of my own little flair on that, I don't think it really needs to be protected the way that people think it does. Art will always, always exist. It will right. always be around until our last dying breath. And I just, I like seeing that sentiment echoed in this book. It didn't really have as much to do with like the whole plot of, this, of the book or whatever, but right. I just, that line just like really stuck out to me. You're so right. And I like your thoughts on things don't need to be protected as quite as much as we say they are. Because like what happens during a forest fire, right? It creates the environment for new life. We don't need to be snobbish about it. We don't need to like, we, we won't preserve art by putting other art down, you know, um, yeah. like the good stuff always rises to the top. Like people like what they like and they will, they will continue liking stuff and creating stuff and being influenced by things. And it just happens of its own accord. You know, it's so strong that we will go down, we will go down with it. You mm-hmm. know, we will like humans will have art forever. It, doesn't matter what the situation is. You can try to burn it all. You can try to outlaw it. It will always be there. We are intrinsically artistic people. Like it, it's awesome. I, I really do believe that. I am not a student of psychology. I don't have a degree in it or anything. Um, there's a lot of debate on whether or not you know we're born with certain characteristics or we learn them. Um, it, uh, there's a there's a good argument to be made that it's a it's a bit of both. But I think the vast 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 majority of humans are I would I would even 
go as far as to say all of every human is artistic you know yes. like pretty like every single one of us um and it's a really beautiful thought and it's really cool to think that we will always have it it's just always in our back pocket is art is artistry you know like singing songs every single culture has some sort of music every single culture has some sort of visual art you know and what are and, the things that are left over from cultures that have gone away almost always their art even the paintings on the wall of the caves you know it's really beautiful it's eternal so it it, really so like you know that quote like while it's not very like um you know i can't tie it to like a bunch of things in this book like right now but it just really stuck out to me i liked it a lot it made me think a lot i have a similar one that did this a similar thing to me that i was just like nice uh, and also, it was just beautiful. So Senlin is telling Valida how he wishes he could go back and basically beat the crap out of his former self for taking health and youth and energy for granted. Uh, and Valida's response, she says, you could resent yourself for your imperfect enjoyment of life, but that seems to me to be a never-ending task and a thankless one. And if we really knew how good our lives were, we'd be too scared to do anything to change and take a risk and explore to grow. You can hate yourself for not fully appreciating your good days when you had them, or you can look back and be warmed by the memory. Wow. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> like we can never go back and change things. So like maybe look back, learn from your mistakes and just appreciate the fact that you had them at all. Yeah, like not every single experience seems to be a positive one. Yeah. And don't resent yourself for not appreciating it fully. Just show gratitude that you even had them at all, you know? Yeah, and you can always appreciate it re retroactively. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, you, like so what's stopping by the you memory. right now? Yeah, yeah you can, like, you're like one step away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> through your own memories. I don't Do know. A I little really bit like more. that. All right, I have another one. Okay. We can cower behind oaths and excuses, but it does not change the fact that many are suffering and dying. Perhaps we are not responsible for the crimes of our fathers, but make no mistake, we are beneficiaries of those crimes, which makes us answerable to its victims. Mm. Boom. Dang. Boom. Josiah Bancroft. Josiah, my, oh my God. Dude, there's so many. Like, he, like, like we're self-aware, wise guy. I, 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 seriously, I mean, like, that is such an amazing little nugget right there. I mean, like, we, like, yeah, maybe... Maybe we're not responsible for some of the, the the horrendous things that have happened, you know, but like right now we still live in a community. You know what I mean? Like this is a community. This is the, there are people with us. Like, let's look out for each other, you know, like tossing blame around and getting in arguments about the semantics of who deserves whatever. It's like help help the people out. Like, like, let's figure this out together. You know, I mean, it's obviously way easier said than done, but just the awareness of that, that's that's the jumping off point right mm -hmm. there. You know what I mean? Like take that and run with it. It, it, it applies, to, you know, to us in this plane of existence and it absolutely applies to the tower. And the, I think one of the points that was being made that kind of Senlin alluded to uh, when he's talking to those kids and it's just like, it wasn't getting done, you know? And that's why the tower was the way that it was. It was a total disaster. I mean, it was as soon as Senlin walked in there, he was like, something isn't right with this. This is weird. Everybody was vying for power. Everybody was vying for influence. Everybody was stabbing each other in the back. They were letting this underclass of people start to develop. They were completely disregarding an entire group of people 
because of who they were and it's and look what happened like it was a, it you know a uh <laughs> some a dictator took over and tried to dismantle the entire thing and it was yeah it was just ah oh, man this guy is very wet i, I get like an, i get like annoyed reading his writing because it's just like man I'm really why you gotta, why you gotta to be uh, so... interview him. <laughs> oh, me too. Yeah, he's going to think we're idiots. Yeah. He said, the ground is full of self-righteous bones, but we would do well to remember it is the cause, not the loss, that ennobles sacrifice. Oof. God damn, man. God damn. <laughs> you know what's funny is I, I, just did a, um, I just did a top 15 like fantasy books list on my TikTok. I had a lot of fun making it and it was it was difficult it was really difficult to do and i wanted to put these books in there but i just couldn't find oh, i didn't. just it was so fresh off of it you know what i mean like i just i felt like i i just finished it like a matter of days before and i just i didn't feel comfortable adding it to a list with so many other amazing series after being so fresh off finishing it i needed to totally. think about it more to put it where i thought it needed to go where i felt like it needed to go man this this man's writing just it's amazing like it it's it's so far surpasses and there are some amazing incredible writers that i've read that you have read this is his first books just, byron yeah. says uh while we're just like hitting hard here with some deep stuff byron says while cleaning up after a battle let the generals mop up the battlefield for a change and let's see how long they go before waging another war right oh my god <laughs> i've thought that so many times with like you know all the all the ridiculous stuff that's going on right now it's just like can we just get these world leaders into a room and just right. let them fight each other because nobody else wants this you know like this right. is ridiculous like how many people are gonna have to live in squalor or without food or mm -hmm. probably die because you guys just can't figure it out like it's just the world leaders should be on the front lines you know but no they're sitting in like leather chairs and bunkers you know right. the people who least deserve the benefit are getting the most of it and don't have to suffer the cleaning up of the blood man yeah byron is <laughs> don't even get me started <laughs> don't get best. me started again i have never been to the moon but i suspect there are ants <laughs> there. <laughs> oh my god i love that so much so much i get ants we're not supposed to have ants in this house we're very very vigilant about ants in this house and i still there was one crawling across my keyboard the other day and i was just like where are, are the rest kidding? of your people ant like why are you here like why are you did they send you out as a scout are there going to be more ants if we weighed every ant on the you know in the planet it would weigh more than the combined weight of every human on the planet oh man don't even get me started on motherfucking arthropods okay like <laughs> nice drop there <laughs> They're the, your, uh, uh, they're the most numerous animal on the planet. Yeah. Senlin, after recognizing the spiral to be a logarithmic one, chuckles at himself, remembering how often he used to conflate classification with understanding. And I sat there and I like really was just thinking, like, how many things in my life can I name and classify that I that and that gives me a false sense of understanding when that's not true at all it's a really hard truth <laughs> yeah, yeah as a as a couple nerds oh man i don't Bro. know anything i just have all the harry potter titles rattling around up in my brain i don't understand oh, you know i don't enough. get it <laughs> uh, oh my gosh there's just so many good ones okay no, so keep reading them whatever at the end of um chapter 15 in response to if you give one children a bowl you'll have to give them all one he says then they'll all have one i have more bowls than the sky has stars and how much soup can one man eat <laughs> <laughs> that was a character that i wish we got to 
spend more time with, which was uh, his name started with an O. Ossian. He was like the key- Ossian. Ossian. Yeah, Ossian. Yeah. He was the keeper of the Warren. Yeah, I really liked the uh, the imagery there of just like this big giant kind of like endless pawn shop, you know, yeah. with like all the leavings of the tower, and he's just kind of like its custodian and like categorizing everything. Yeah, he's like the caretaker of all the junk in mm-hmm. the tower. I mean, the most some of it's got uses, obviously. Valida says to Senlin, I don't need a pistol now, Mr. Senlin. I spit bullets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like whooped. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I know. Like right when Senlin was like, you need a gun. I was just like, no, she doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> Valida's fine. It is Valida's going to be duty totally to have a fine. snoot about. <laughs> how would you rank these books? In order of like. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Like how much you like them. We don't have to if you don't want to. I mean, we don't have to like reduce everything down to a list or anything, but um, no, I just think no, it's no. fun. Let's just try. It will be fun. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go three, one, two, four. Three, one, two, four. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So what really was it? The third. Yeah. Three was really good. Yeah. Third was. For sure. Third, we played with the tower. We got to learn. It was like all the relationship was already built. People were growing. They were growing the whole story. But like there was enough established relationship and character that I wasn't asking questions about who I was with. I was just experiencing the story with them. Totally. Yeah, that's super fair. Yeah. And then one, because it was just the doorway into awesome. It was all Senlin, baby. Yeah. And it was just, yeah, I just loved it. It was just like, I'll just like never forget the like awesome awe that i was like this book is so good like this i was just like i just got more and more excited to read those the third one was really chosen or the second one was chosen as the third one because it's definitely not the fourth <laughs> <laughs> what's your order i think i would go two three one four so arm of the sphinx think? arm of the sphinx was my favorite I loved the Silk Gardens. I loved being in the Sphinx's lair. Yeah. I loved uh, Senlin and Edith kissing. I loved the mystery of like how helpful is the Sphinx really trying to be here? Like, what's everybody doing? Like, is I didn't know yet if Mara was the actual like antagonist. Um, I thought maybe the Sphinx was. There so we found we find out that uh, there's a baby involved. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's just all this like like book two was. In my opinion, just like perfect. It was yeah, it you was know enough really, to care. Yeah. Um, we're getting to know all these people. And then yeah, three for a lot of the same reasons as you had. I mean, um, we were kind of it was a little bit stagnant just in that we were in Pelfia for so long. Mm-hmm. But I liked Pelfia a lot. Duke Willem was a really great character. A lot of Senlin, a lot of change for Senlin. I feel like Senlin changed the most in book three. He found like that was like, that most. was the most growth there. Um Edith coming in hard in book three you know uh rescuing maria yeah um book three was really fantastic one i i feel like um like for a lot of the same reasons i I really did enjoy one it's kind of like never a dull moment when senlin's around uh one took me a little bit to like settle into you start out in the market and that's really cool the the initial kind of like issue comes up and you get like a good promise of like what this series is going to be about this is a this is a man trying to find the love the love of his life yes. in a very very not so nice place right. love that simple and wildly easy unique and different. totally totally on board with it and then you get into the basement and that's all cool there's a the beer me go around go around he meets finn gall you know, things are not what they seem. He gets betrayed. He gets his stuff stolen. Parlor. We're, we're going down into the hole, right? But then he gets to the parlor 
and I was like, what the hell is going on here? You know what I mean? Mm. It was just like a lot of like, wait, what? And then like the baths, it was a lot of him like just sitting around and a lot of new terms coming up and a lot of um, like switcheroos. Like, no, that's not really what you think it is. It's actually like this thing. And you know, like what's up with the red hand? Like, I don't know what that's all about. Like the commissioner and like, it was a lot being thrown at me. But uh, the ending in New Babel was where it really picked up and kind of like became book two, you know? So I, mm-hmm. I really like that. Then book four is just a lot. It's just, just it's lot. just a lot. It's not bad at all. Like I said, with the pizza analogy, like, I mean, it's, it's a delicious pizza. I really like it a lot. Um, Very good. I do think that like having us be with Adam in Nebos for as long as we were without yes. seeing any other characters was pretty jarring. And I wish it would have been broken up a little bit. Like we didn't need to be there for all of that the whole time. No. Um, or at least for as long as we were. And I think that Senlin's kind of, um, like Senlin just kind of like being by himself, essentially, was just like not super interesting to read about. Right. But but I will say, though, seeing the interaction between him and Mara was really, really interesting. I feel like uh, he was able to like see a lot of like who he didn't want to be in mara you know what i mean he was able to he was able to grow by observing yeah someone who's clearly intelligent but blinded by his sense of self superiority well what what i will say that i think as we kind of start winding winding this down which i I really don't i don't want to do (laughs) because i could talk about this forever but it is getting late i do think that this this fourth book it really wrapped up the series in a way that like when i finished it by myself I was a little bit, I was sad. I was sad that, that it didn't end with a bang and it didn't end with a lot of closure. It was like this bittersweet thing where I'm, I, you know, I'm happy that everybody's in a, in a cool constructive place and there was a lot of growth there, but I just didn't really feel like I, I wasn't ready to say goodbye because I felt like the story mm-hmm. wasn't over yet, no. you know, and that was hard. Like that, I, I, this is the biggest book hangover I've had this whole year. Um, I thought that it was going to be like that for Greenbone. I, I thought that Greenbone was the biggest book hangover that I would have. And it was until I read this. Like, this is mm-hmm. definitely... I still um, don't have closure. Yeah, I don't have closure. And I really... Yeah, I started... I started, I started tearing up, you know, there towards the end. Like, Senlin realizes that it's over. And, like, I realize that it's over. Yeah. And it's just like, man, like, these... I was so glued to some of these characters like every time byron walked into a room so happy he was there every time edith did something just so over the top badass i was so there for it every time like rettleman was not the red hand anymore even though we couldn't shake it and he was actually really different and very very like serial killer weird right exactly (laughs) um aaron and volita's relationship aaron and Anne's relationship like Senlin bumbling his way to becoming ultimately a great person. And he was already a good person, but like there's still so much room for growth there. And ah, like it's just, and to top it all off, the setting, the freaking setting, Chad. Like I tried to count, I, I'm sure I missed some, but we got to visit actually 19 of the Ringdoms. There's 66, right? Like there's so many untold stories. This, the mix of steampunk and uh, fantasy yes. and science fiction and yeah we literally turned science fiction at the end of this book yeah we did and it ends on like such a hopeful optimistic but realistic 
like yeah. tone to it which i mean if you think about it like the whole series has that kind of mm-hmm. like it's got it's got like this optimistic funny understated tone to it yes but also there's this harsh reality there's this like morbidness to everything right. and he doesn't let you forget it like he really doesn't ever let you forget it but there are there are so many good people in those gaps like there's so many opportunities to grow and there's so many opportunities to be better than the person that you were yesterday right you're in control of so little but you can control how you react to the things out of your control and that's what's important it's just like i literally pulled up my notes for my interview or for our interview that we're going to have with josiah at the end of this and was like are we going to get more are we because i feel like they're just beginning the greatest adventure of all i almost don't want more you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's just like, don't, because what if you mess it up? I don't think I know, he would. Don't I don't think he perfect. would. I don't think he would. He's too good of a writer. Yeah. Um, and I, I just want to say, like, I don't know if, I don't, I, don't, I might be too nervous to tell Josiah this to his face. Uh, but Josiah, if you're listening, you had so much to juggle here. This is an incredibly ambitious work that you Insane did. And I, and I just want, I want you to know if you're out there in the ether listening to this, we really appreciate the work that you did because. I don't know how you did it. I don't. You pulled it off with so much grace. You pulled it and off flair, and yeah, with so much flair. With so like, there's so much spectacle around all of this, but it never went off the rails. Like it never. You never jumped with a shark. You embedded it with lessons. Congratulations! Yeah. I, I think that you know, I I never see these books talked about on on TikTok. I never see them talked about on Instagram. Believe me, I'm on there a lot, and I want to lead the charge in getting people to read these. Same. You know, because I really, I honestly really do believe these are going to be remembered. I think it's going to take a second for people for it to really click. But I think mm-hmm. people, like, this is going to go down as one of the great works in the last, in at least like the 2020s, you know, I like, couldn't agree more. like this book came out at the end of 2021. Right. But you know what I mean? It's like, this it has is everything. And it some. does. That's a good way of summing all that up. It has everything. Yeah. And I, I learned so much. Like it was like, it, I'm a better person because I read this book, and that is yeah, a right. crazy, impressive thing to do. Yeah, in a book, in a storybook, in a book that's built for entertainment. I took some real life lessons out of this, and Same. I mean, I, I have some hangups about it. You know, I mean, like I have hangups about everything. I think there were some there were some odd coincidences in these books where it was kind of mm-hmm. like, ah, really? Like, I guess you know, oh, it's the it's the it's the girl that he robbed in the book before, and <laughs> right. she's just like, we never hear from her again, and like, oh, whatever. All right, cool. But that none of that matters. I mean, I have hangups about all kinds of stuff. It's whatever. Like I said before, and I, I think uh, maybe a different episode that we did, plot holes do not make a book worse. No. You know, this, this is all imagined, and I'm here for the imagination. And this this has imagination in spades. One of the most imaginative things I've read in quite some time. And I read fantasy all the time. It like <laughs> inspired my imagination. Like added right. my ima- to my imagination pool. Yeah, like if you're a writer read these books. Oh my God. Absolutely. This is a, this is such a, a perfect study in how much fun you can have with what you're writing and how yeah. the sky is the limit. There's no and exploration. No and limit. Don't be prisoned by a genre. Transcend, no. transcend, <laughs> transcend the genre. Um, okay. As we kind of come to a close here, I'm going to throw out three rapid questions that I don't think you have the answer to any of them, but if you do, I'll be stoked. Let's okay. Do it. One, where did the bricklayer go? Two, who gave Adam special privileges? Three, how did the red hand get inside the ship? <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, where did the bricklayer go? The bricklayer is 
Like I said, he disappeared. He's an alien. He's right. he's he's in the ether. He's in the okay. void. He's he's he everywhere blinked. and nowhere. I'm not saying he is like capital G God, right. but I think he's got places that he's at that we don't okay. know about. Um, I think he's in a lot more control than we think he is. You know, okay. or at least he had been in a in control to a vast degree before, and then isn't in it anymore. Right? Because he didn't. He was about to, but he did everything but the final step of his project. And he knew that they didn't deserve it at that point. They weren't ready. Yeah, because they were going to crush him with it because they got so greedy. Like they got, they were like, no, this is our paradise. You can't just let a bunch of hods in here. (laughs) Okay, that's really good. I really like your alien explanation of like a trans, like (laughs) Q, like, you know, except not so. It's like the only real explanation, I feel like. It is. Because it's never like, where did he go? He disappeared. Uh, What was the second question? Um, who gave Adam special privileges? Um, I think that he just, uh, I think anybody that's in one of the scintillations has special privileges. Oh, you think because so? Because he's, because he, he gave his eye. Um, I think if you get, oh. if you, if one of your eyes is, is part of the collection, you are like part of the collection. That's how I looked at it at least. Oh, I like it. Dude, you're nailing your answers. Okay. <laughs> I thought I was going to hit you with some like, dude, I don't really know. No, like he, he is in the collection if you think about right. it or he was, or you know what I mean? I, I loved the librarian also. He was Yeah, great. that was cool. <laughs> I pictured him as like kind of a, um, like a not very well put together robot. I don't know why. Oh, like, oh just... yeah. No, he's, he's ramshackle for sure. Yeah. Gears and sprungs and like one of the, um, like Looking... one of, what are those things from Dr. Who called Dalek? A Dalek. Okay. I think that's what they're called. I could be super wrong. Sorry, Doctor Who fans. <laughs> what was your uh, What was your third question? Uh, how did Red Hand get inside the ship? Oh, I have no idea. Yeah, that was that's on, that one's on. Un- he's just like he's just like he's particles. He's every. I mean, uh, there. I saw a theory um, online um, that the Red Hand is a bricklayer, and I think that I had did I I had like kind of called you that. Had, uh, yeah, you had that theory. Um, I, I don't think know he is, if though. he is though, because it doesn't line up really. Mm-mm. What did you think about? Oh man, we're we're doing the same thing we did last, with Greenbone and Winter Night, where we just like kind of just keep going because I can't, going, I can't going, let this go. go. I can't let no. this go. What did you think about like Valida being able to like go back in time? Was it like because for me I was just kind of like I have been right. avoiding asking you that <laughs> question the whole time because it's gonna open a wonderfully wonderful uh, can of worms like they all do. Um, can oh open boy. worms everywhere. Oh boy, um, I didn't mind it. Though I did roll my eyes a little. Yeah, like, like, oh, she took too much of it. Now she's tripping yeah. through time. Like, all right, all right. And like, all right there were some right, times right. that she needed to be distracted so things could happen around her. And like, what I, don't what know. I think would have been cool is if I'm not trying to say that I know what was going on in Bancroft's head or anything, but I think that maybe he tried to sew that up a little bit by having multiple conversations between um, Rettleman and. Uh, Valida because yeah. Rettleman had kind of like experienced a little bit of this. I think what would have probably worked really well is if um, the Sphinx at one point had told Edith, at least for the reader's benefit, what too much of it would do. Like maybe yeah. the effects hadn't been studied or like something like that. So that it was... I feel like the medium like is something and I'm missing it. The medium is important and it's telling me something. Right. It represents something or like there's a, some depth there or a lesson there that I'm like close but not getting yeah i mean maybe we'll find out in more books i think uh josiah before he uh, before he stopped using twitter i guess um he had said that he had he's not writing anything right now but um he wouldn't he wouldn't not go back to it so i bet there's some ideas rattling around 
in uh, his very, very cluttered head. <laughs> yeah, which kind of like makes sense, his answer, really, because it's like, this is clearly someone who writes for the love of it. Yeah, you can tell. Not to like produce or make money or anything. He's just, he loves it and he's good at it. And he probably knows this. I'm going to ask him what the medium is. Well, Chad, I think we got, I think, I don't know. Is I, I, at the end of these episodes, I always feel like there's more we could have talked about because it's Me an too. entire, it's an entire book. Right? right. But I think, I think we, we probably hit most of the points. Right. I think so too. All right. This is my last question. Where do you think Nebos is going? Hmm. What a great question. I think the question is specifically not answered because it's not important. It's that it's <laughs> going and that they're facing the unknown with their head held high. Yeah. Um, but to like actually answer it. That's a good answer. I don't know. Maybe towards opportunity. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Whoa. Because like another, I don't know, another planet seems so like dull kind of, you know? I like the idea of where it's going more than probably where it's actually going. Yeah, I pictured that since there are other towers, maybe there's like a meeting place for the other... We, we could be headed to a reunion. Right, yeah. That would be interesting. Um, Like a war doesn't really make sense, but it's nah. outfitted for one. So like that's interesting. But maybe that's I just mean, a result of... I don't know. I don't know. I didn't think... I wasn't on Valida's page. Yeah, I wasn't was on like, that either. I don't think so. I was yeah. like, no, it's just like you would want to protect something that's valuable you know like just because it's built to protect itself doesn't mean that it's built to destroy like you can destroy yeah. i mean they're in space like maybe there's a bunch not... of other crazy stuff out there yeah i mean yeah. it seems like the height of folly to go into the unknown <laughs> with no ability to protect yourself it doesn't have to be for like offense yeah like valida doesn't take away adam's gun right. she just she just lowers it we shouldn't go forward forth in fear yeah, exactly. Yeah. But do go forth and do protect yourself because who knows what the hell you're going to come across. Well, speaking of going forth into the unknown, it's time for us to say goodbye to the Books of Babel. It's time for us to say goodbye to Senlin and Edith and Adam and Volita and Aaron and Anne kind of and Byron. Of, oh, a little surge of emotion just like hitting you. It's time to say goodbye to the and Books Olive, of Babel. All of it. We're saying goodbye. Everybody, thank you so much for joining Chad and myself on this journey through these incredible books. Um, I'm so happy, not only that I got to read these books, but that I got to read them with my best friend. We got to Straight talk up. about them at length, and we got to talk about them at length with all of you listening. It really, it, this is the coolest thing in my life. <laughs> easily, easily. Easily. Yeah. Easily the coolest thing in my, and the most important thing to me right now, too. Like, I just, I just love it, and I love you. And it has helped me gain so much more understanding of myself and the world and the value of relationship and connectivity. You know, like I could have experienced these, these books alone and it would have been awesome, but they are made unknowingly more awesome because I was able to experience them with you and you all. Oh, oh boy. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to get all emotional again, Chad. <laughs> Everybody really appreciate you being here with us for this journey. And, um, Chad and I are, already have we we've already started the Devabad trilogy by S.A. Chakraborty and it's awesome so far and if you'd like to join us on that ride of course you are more than welcome uh if not we've got a bunch of other stuff recorded too that you can listen to <laughs> you can listen to any of these at your heart's intent you know these are going to be up forever and uh 
as much as I loved these books, I know that Chad and I have quite the journey ahead of us reading. I may, I might have promised TikTok that we're going to read Malazan on the podcast. So. We're definitely going to. We have that's, to. That's going to happen at some point. Oh, we are going to get into some conversations. <laughs> <laughs> but until that happy day, uh, we're going to go ahead and close off this rather sad moment <laughs> sad but you know what it's also filled with hope and like this story told us we shall travel together go forth together into the unknown and man i am so thankful that uh we are all together on this so thanks guys i'm thinking of all the curious marvelous wonders that await us chad everybody thank you so much for listening and i hope you have an awesome rest of your day happy reading folks bye everybody <laughs>